Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma radiated, sworn to protect the world that fears and hates it, and aired live every week, only on the Non-Productive Network, the only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio, as always, by Pete and James. On Near Mint, we rank and review comics from best to worst, that's mint, near mint, good, fair, and poor to you newbies, and try to guide you on what to read and what might be better to avoid. We are, of course, continuing our read-through of Hickman's Run on House of X and Powers of Ten, this issue, or in this episode, we're going to be talking about issue uh, number three in House of X. Yes. And everything that came before. So, pretty interesting issue. It feels like every issue feels slightly big, which is good, I, yeah. in my opinion, for 12 issues. This this was the first issue where I thought we were getting into the real meat of a plot, mm. I think. I, there was a lot of world building going on up until now, and I think there's there's actually some action going on here, like... Oh, definitely. Characters yeah. are actually moving forward with yeah. a plot. There, there is effectively a, um, a, a kind of a heist in here. Yeah. There's a, a plan. Cyclops has assembled his team of X-Men to do a raid on Orcris, which as we, in the, uh, in the regular timeline, whatever, yeah. in the uh, <laughs> X... Uh, <laughs> X1. X1, sure. Uh, out in space where they're building a mother mold that will eventually, we'll, we find out, lead to the creation of Nimrod and the end of mutant kind. So, um, By the way, before we get too yeah. deep into that, I, I just want to talk about the, uh, the mother mold. Yes. And the Orcus up, uh, uh, in, in, in space. In space. The fact that this was built on the ruins of Soul's Hammer. Yes, we talked about that briefly in an earlier episode and did yeah. not call out what it was. I I ha- actually had to do a little bit of research because I forgot about it. I forgot that Soul's Hammer was one of Hickman's creations. I did not. I didn't. Hickman remember that has been laying. This is more evidence that Hickman's been laying the groundwork for this for oh, a long great. time, or at least he's playing with the same toys he has been. This was back uh, leading up to uh, the Infinity crossover, where the uh, the worlds were colliding, ended up the multiverse being destroyed. But this was a uh, planetary defense Dyson sphere, right? That, that Tony, uh, Tony Stark, Stark built, built. Uh, and they actually did establish that after Tony Stark was presumed dead. In, uh, and Reed Richards was presumed, well, was mi- missing yeah. for so long that damage control that took damage over. control yeah. did take take that th- that was already previously established in that right. previous storyline. I love that. I love the the world building that went into this. Uh, kudos, it's fun for those of you who picked up on it as you're going along. And learning that has given me a little bit more faith in what Hickman's oh, doing. Good. That this is actually going to all have some sort of real world for. In air quotes, uh, consequence that it's going to fit in correctly somehow. James, uh, you have not been, you didn't read a lot of stuff outside of that. I don't think you read any of the stuff that Soul's Hammer came into. Uh, did you pick up on any of that? Did it, how did it feel to you? Was it like a little Easter egg teasing you, or did you not even notice? I had no idea uh, about that at all. This one, you know, to me, kind of as a whole, comes off somber. I was very focused on what was happening and a little less about the, you know, the little Easter eggs. Oh, yeah, and that's totally oh, yeah. legit. This is a, this quickly becomes a serious story of an infiltration team that we now know is being fed information from the past life of one of X-Men's like most legendary characters that we didn't even know had that ability until just recently um, to as a last ditch effort possibly to 
to stop to halt the production of something that will eventually lead to an Imrod, yeah. uh, an end time event for mutants. Um, and the story is pretty weird. There's two major uh, sections in it. There's the courtroom drama uh, that takes out. I'm not even being dismissive of it. This is no She-Hulk joking thing. This is weird. Uh, and then the other section, which is the infiltration with the X-Men, um, that ends in a pretty graphic way. So two questions for you folks. Uh, courtroom, this is the scene where uh, the mutants effectively come to collect Sabretooth yeah. uh, from justice. Sabretooth has been being held by the uh, United States government, I think. I think it's some sort of international court thing, maybe. Maybe it was the United States government. The point is that it is some political uh, machine that the mutants have decided have no rights. Well, use the term machine lightly based in this uh, storyline. That the, the, the mutants have decided to have no rights to hold one of their own. So it has, once again, a lot of real-world ramifications. So my question for you is, are the humans right? Are the humans right for trying to try Sabretooth in their own courts, and not a human court, but still, uh, or the mutants right in trying to keep one of their own? Well, I think, uh, I think the big problem with this is we don't know the terms of the agreement that the mutants have extracted from humanity. Emma Frost claims that they, they have the rights. And also threatens in a way. Yeah. Basically, we have the rights because we made, made an agreement, but trust me, I could have taken him anyways. Yeah. And maybe even that agreement was kind of coerced. I, I think... The mutants are paying, playing fast and loose with morality, no matter how you look at it yeah. with this. Because they, they are clearly not negotiating from an even playing field. Yeah. I, I, I they think hold it's... all the cards. and It's a little uncomfortable because we're supposed to be rooting for the mutants, right. ostensibly. So, James, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm with Pete here. This seems really somber to me because, you know, up until this point, I'm rooting for the mutants. And then... We go into this scene and like Sabretooth's a bad guy. Like, there's no two ways about it. You know, he's not the good guy here. And you know, we struggle this with this morality in real world conflicts every day. There's no good answer to it. Right. You know, so to have that kind of front and center on a on a comic that you know just adds to the somberness later on. Just you know, it felt felt very real. Yeah, I, who is uh, subject to whom's laws mm. is a thing we face in international criminal court today in the real world. People are, uh, you know, free, f exempt from war crimes just because the people they represent are more powerful than the people that they performed those alleged war crimes on. It's it is eerie how much this book is making you question whether or not any of this stuff is justified or right or and I don't have any answers to any of this I'm just I, I'm looking at last last week we were talking about how apocalypse may have been right in fighting off humanity this week we're talking about how um humanity might be right in uh trying to uh punish and capture and resist the mutants who are wielding uneven power against them uh, interesting. Anything else you, uh, either of you want to pull out of this uh, courtroom scene, Pete? I, I did just want to point out that, to me, this kind of felt, it, it, while it was a really good scene and a good B story, it, it kind of felt out of place to me. I, it, it didn't feel like it had an awful lot of bearing on what is going on in the other side. 
and the larger story, although maybe it will have more uh, ramifications down the road. How about you, James? Like, I really like this one. It's just such tonally, it felt really different. I feel like I've been, like, really rooting, you know, like, and it's been, like, very action-packed and adventure and this, this feels weighted and heavy in a way that, like, you know, say something like killing Moira and the last one doesn't because, you know, well, we know Moira's going to restart on the next go-around, you know? So this just this just had, like, a different weight to it. Well, certainly. So this the second story here is one where the X-Men finally uh, invade Orcus's station, and it ends with a suicide bombing. It ends with uh, the humans, one of the AIM scientists maybe, certainly one of the Orcus scientists uh, or security personnel, mm. uh, realizing that the X-Men were about to breach the ship and risk the project before it goes live. So rather than risk that, and effectively in his mind, risk humanity losing out to mutants uh, who are going to wipe them out, he's willing to ignite or explode his weapon in some MacGuffin way. Effectively, he blows blows himself himself up. up Right underneath the X-Men spaceship. Right. Uh, And that's heavy. That's pretty damn heavy for for the story. Uh, But once again, the parallels to the real world are right in your face on what people won't do when they think that they are not only justified, but they have to because their future is on the line, their existence. And it's an existential threat. These people who are landing their vessel to try to get, you know, information and sabotage a robot from being built, they are an existential threat to humanity and they must be stopped no matter what. So even in this case, we're sort of backing up like the mostly AIM and a little bit of Hydra scientists. This, this comic specifically starts and ends with the, the quote from Magneto. They single it out. Um, For you to die, you would have to be forgotten. And no one forgets a founder of the nation. Which like seems like a really awesome and kind of powerful quote. Uh, obviously foreshadowing what might become the fate of the suicide team, you know, of Cyclops and, and so on. But at the same time, I wonder if, you know, and Pete's brought it up in past talks with us unknowing about how Moira's lives work, the way it resets. I mean, maybe all of these people will be forgotten. Maybe this whole sacrifice, this whole interplay, if it really isn't part of the prime timeline or the ideal timeline they're trying to achieve, then maybe this is all meaningless. I think it goes a little further. I think Magneto's um, little quote there can definitely refer to the guy who killed himself, the the human scientist, the orca mm-hmm. scientist, who is, you know, it, that that you will not be forgotten because you're the founder of a nation and your sacrifices will not be forgotten. That's That applies equally to the people who are fighting the X-Men as it does to the X-Men. Yeah, I'd say they're basically, both sides are on almost equal moral footing here. You know, they're both fighting for, as they see it, the survival of their race. Right. And they they see the the survival of their race and the opposing race as mutually exclusive. Right. 
And it's interesting because we still don't quite know what that way far future thousand year timeline means for either of those races because it doesn't seem like it's humans and it doesn't quite seem like it's mutants who've survived. It seems like it's maybe both or none of the above. I don't know, but I guess we'll so find out. It looks out. to me like the machines ultimately win. Ultimately, but the machines are kind of, are they, I don't know if what they're the difference of because we see the machines mixed with mutants in the 100 years in the future yeah. line as well as mutants, uh, as well as humans and mutants, whatever. Uh, it's, it's a big, it's a heavy, heavy story. Let's rank House of X number three. So as a standalone story, I'm not. This was interesting. It had it had some things to go, mm. some things to give, and some things that weren't. I just can't. I don't feel like reviewing this as a standalone story anymore. This is they did a good job of making these two books tie together in a cohesive storyline that I hope delivers an impactful ending. But at this point, I'm not even sure if I need that. I just it is. It's brought up interesting. Th- thoughts in my head regarding that mutant human problem that we've kind of had in comics for at least like the last past few decades. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm going to go near mint. I think that, uh, that this, this is probably the one that I have the hardest time rating on its own Mm -hmm. because this is very clearly the, the middle point of a story. Yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing the seeds of this conflict and the, the beginning of this battle. But because of the action, the, uh, the high stakes, all of it, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give this one a mint. Wow. Excellent. James. I think I'm also going to side with Pete. I really like the themes this one's presenting. And I think even though, like, I guess for all the reasons why it makes me uncomfortable, um, I'm going to give it a mint. Uh, but, you know, I guess not not the same mint I gave, uh, you know, like um, <laughs> there's you know, no the Moira one where <laughs> I was like, no excited s- about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So we're, we don't have we do not have a triple a mint. We, yeah. we We do not have a triple <laughs> mint. I can't believe... I'm the one who gave it the lowest review in this in this week. I mean, ultimately, I think in a story like this, fingers crossed, you want to give it one final ranking as a com- complete cohesive story. Uh, and I can't wait to do it. We're about at the midpoint. We're a little, we're right there. Just, we're doing, just, um, yeah, we're do- doing math quickly in our heads. No, There's I think we're just, we're, ju- we're just past the midpoint. Yeah. And we are going to get caught up completely in the next two weeks. I hope you're getting caught up on this podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the episode of Near Mid, please like and follow and subscribe. Get the latest episode in the podcatcher of your choice. Oh, and hey, leave us a good review. Pete, you have something you want to add? Yes, as a reminder for those of you reading along with us, this is again one of those weeks where they do a flip-flop. And next week is going to be House of X number four. Right. So don't look for Powers of X for, it's going to be House of X four. Right. You're right. Yes. Uh, So House of X four is the next book you'll be reading. And ostensibly House of X four should follow, should pick up right from this cliffhanger ending. Well, I hope so. So I have high hopes for that. Yeah. All right. So uh, keep listening and stay tuned. This has been a non-productive media presentation. 
Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Nonproductive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.